0: saving name hallelujah that's above every other name oh god (laughs) hallelujah jesus jesus we magnify you tonight hallelujah hallelujah aren't you thankful for the name of jesus amen some people call us jesus only but we're not only jesus only we're jesus everything Amen. I'm thankful for the name of Jesus. God is so good. You can be seated tonight. Just had a, wanted to touch base a little bit with a couple announcements. There's a ladies tea that is scheduled, I believe, for the end of this month that is going to be canceled. Um, it was on the schedule and then there's a there was a wedding uh, put on the schedule all of a sudden for uh eric and kayla so we're just going to cancel uh, that ladies tea coming up hopefully we'll reschedule something for this fall um also wanted to mention brother fogarty next week again we're excited to have him we will be having church uh wednesday night he's going to be flying in tuesday so we'll have church wednesday night thursday night and friday night and if you want to be blessed please be here if at all possible um, brother fogarty's just a, a great great teacher i'm um, just a great man of god and I'm just excited for, for what the Lord uh, has for us during those um, services. So please be here, be here, be in prayer for it. And also, um, morning prayer. Um, we are going to continue morning prayer. I did send out a one call. Um, I know we're having some issues with our one call system where um, there was quite a few that said that they didn't get it. And it was uh, blanking out. We gotta, we're in the process of going to be doing something different with one call because we're maxed out with how many people we can have on it. Anyways, uh, we are going to continue morning prayer, um, again, from 5 to 8. Um, so if, please, if you are, I know there's been some people that have been very faithful to that and uh, ask you just to remain faithful. If there's some people that started off being faithful and then it kind of pewtered off, I'd ask you to maybe maybe tomorrow you would just make another claim and uh, uh, to be faithful at, at morning prayer. Um, Gay, Brother Gabe's been kind of opening it up and and I've been coming in later and closing it down, so um, I appreciate everybody who's been doing that. I had I had several people at district conference come up to me. Um, actually, they were both both of them were were ministers. One was a pastor, and he, to, he they said we we can we notice in your church that there is a more of a freedom, and uh, they said don't quit morning prayer. We were going to just go through March originally. So, again, I believe in prayer. Amen. Amen. We believe in prayer. So, we're going to continue that, and uh, and maybe we'll just keep going with it. But please, if you could, even if you can't do it every day of the week, if you can come here two or three times a week, pray an hour. That would be that would be wonderful. I'm not going to police it. I'm not keeping track. However, there are people who are, and uh, they, I got the list the other day about who's faithful and who's not. But I'm not. I'm not keeping track. But uh, God is good. Amen. Tonight we're going to do something uh, just a little different. Something that I haven't done a lot of. We're going to start a series on 1 Corinthians, and. Uh, um, I just, I've read through 1 Corinthians several times in the last couple of weeks, and there's just a lot of, there's a lot of stuff to be talked about with the book of 1 Corinthians. So we're, over the course of the next several weeks, I don't know how many weeks it's going to take us to get through, but we're going to literally just go verse by verse. And my goal is to do a chapter um, every week, and my, my goal is obviously to rightly divide the word um, but there's a pressure not to be boring.? okay? There's a pressure not to be boring. So I'm going to try my hardest not to be boring. I'm going verse by verse. but uh, you can help me with that, okay? To stay awake. But there's a lot of good stuff here. So just starting out with uh, the book of Corinthians, um, kind of underst- today's going to kind of be intro. And we'll probably get halfway through chapter one, Um, but just starting out with the with the the letter of Corinthians, and we have to understand something first about um, the city of Corinth, uh, where they were at. Um, Corinth was one of the 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 greatest cities of the ancient world. It was prosperous. It was thriving. It was growing. It was busy. Um, It had a reputation. Um, of being very reckless in the pursuit of pleasure. Um, If you wanted to maybe liken it to a present-day city, it could be like New York or Las Vegas. Like there was stuff happening, but the city was really um, centered around pleasure and sin. It had a rich ethnic mix. It was a center for sports, for government, military, and business. Um, when Paul came to Corinth in approximately 50 to 55 A.D., um, the city was already famous before the Apostle Paul came there. Um, it, it was it was a, a city that actually had existed before that was destroyed in 146 B.C. The city was completely destroyed, uh, but Julius Caesar actually rebuilt the city a hundred years later. So it was it was famous before. There was a book in the Bible named after it. It was a major city of business, especially because of its uh, location, its geographical location. Um, there was a, a, four and a, half, or a, a four and a half mile wide what they called an isthmus, isthmus, isthmus. Um, and basically to understand what an isthmus is, it was a, a narrow strip of land that had sea on both sides, forming a link between um, larger areas of land. So what would happen was, is um, instead of going around the peninsula of Malaya, instead of having to sail all the way around, um, these boats would come into Corinth and all they would have to cross is this narrow strip of land to get to the other side, to the other sea. So it was a port city, it was busy. They would actually, depending on the size of their boat, they would just carry it across land to the other side. And, and that um, you know, process was a whole lot easier than actually sailing around this ent- entire peninsula. To, to sail around this was very dangerous. Um, there, I read things that people would say that let him who sails around Malaya to forget his home and let him who sails around Malaya to first make his will. So it was a very difficult sail to go around. So at Corinth, they were able to cross some land and get to the other side much easier. So there was it was just a busy place, a port city. Um, many things made Corinth famous. Um, it had uh, pottery and what they called Corinthian brass, which was a mixture of gold, silver, and copper. Um, it had a, a famous athletic contest that were to the liking of like the Olympian, Olympian Games. Um, they were held at the temple, uh, at a temple in, the, in, the, in Corinth every two years. I would, I would, they were called the Isthmian Games, um, very popular. Um, there was Athena, Apollo, Poisedon, Hermes, Isis, Serapis, and Aesculapius, among others, Had were goddesses, ancient Greek uh, gods, if you will, that had temples in their honor in Corinth. So it was just a very pagan place. Um, The most prominent um, god in Corinth was the worship of the Corinthian Aphrodite. Um, I looked into this just a little bit, but this god had more than 1,000 female prostitutes. in, in her service, Aphrodite was a, was a goddess. And uh, so it was just, a, um, they literally had a temple um, to the goddess of sex. So it was just a, a very pagan, um, adulterous um, culture in Corinth. They loved pleasure, they loved drunkenness, they loved sexual immorality. The term used um, in the Roman Empire um, said to live like a Corinthian and they actually even they had a term that says Corinthianized which was sort of kind of like being sodomized it was just a, a, a wicked place so understanding that kind of under, helps us understand what the Apostle Paul um, was dealing with when he wrote this letter to the church in Corinth, and we understand, we know that Paul um, founded the church in Corinth um, between 50 and 55 AD, and we're going to go, actually, we're going to open up the book of Acts before we go to Corinthians. We're going to read Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 1. Um, The end of Acts kind of, it really kind of follows Paul through his missionary journeys and and uh, I don't quite have them all organized in my mind because there were several missionary journeys and he kind of went all over the place. But Acts eighteen um, talks a little bit about his second missionary journey, um, and part of it part of that journey was in Corinth. Um, uh, Acts chapter eighteen and verse one says, "After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus." Lately came from Italy with his wife Priscilla because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought for. by their uh, occupation, they were tent makers. So um, they got along well because they they worked in the same trade. Um, They were tent makers and some, there's different opinions on what exactly tent makers were, but um, they worked with leather most of the time. Uh, verse four and he reasoned in the synagogue every sabbath and persuaded the jews and the greeks in verse five and when silas and timothy were come up from macedonia paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the jews that jesus was christ and when they opposed themselves and blasphemed he shook his raiment and said unto them your blood be upon your own hands i am clean From henceforth, I will go unto the Gentiles. So Paul started out preaching in the Jewish synagogues in Corinth and and he he preached to them Jesus. And he wasn't having a lot of success. He shook off his feet. He said, my hands are clean. I've told you the truth. I'm going on to the Gentiles. In verse seven, he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshiped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. It's kind of just like Paul (laughs) <laughs> he literally was having problems um, preaching in the synagogue. The Jews weren't accepting uh, what he was saying, um, the gospel that he was preaching. So he made friends with a Christian that lived right next to the synagogue, and his name was Justice. I wonder how that happened, how, how well that uh, worked out. In verse 8, in Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing, believed, and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. Speaking of Corinth, verse 11, And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. And when Galileo was the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, Galio said unto the Jews, if it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, look ye to it, for I will be no judge of such matters. And he drave them from the judgment seat, and all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. And Galio cared for none of those things. So we have a little bit written here about Paul uh, basically starting the church in Corinth. Um, he started out preaching to the Jews. Um, it seemed like he had good success with the Gentiles. Um, they were, they, they, uh, it was a fight, let's just put it that way, to start this church in Corinth. Um, but God was with them, God led them. If you actually continue to read through Acts 18, talks a little bit about Priscilla and Aquila and how they had basically helped Apollos come to a better understanding of the truth because he had not received the Holy Ghost yet. He was just baptized of John. And it's kind of interesting because today I was trying to find like, who, who was the actual pastor in Corinth when Paul left? And Brother Google wasn't helping me, help me out much. And even commentaries weren't helping me out much. But I just begin to read, and it's interesting because you had Priscilla and Aquila who um, actually came to Corinth with Paul. Um, they helped Paul out, but they helped a man by the name of Apollos out. Um, and if you read at the very end, Acts 18, actually just go to Acts 19.1. It says, and it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. So when Paul was away from Corinth and Ephesus, it alludes that Apollos was at Corinth. And just with some of the other things written in 1 Corinthians, it seems that Apollos was one of the elders, at least, at the church in Corinth. So Acts 18 gives us a little overview of Paul starting Um, the work in Corinth. And it did not come without a fight, um, but God was with him. Um, He was there for about a year and a half initially. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 9 um, alludes to the fact that he had written them other letters. It says, I wrote unto you in an epistle, not to company with fornicators. Okay, So it seems that Paul wrote um, the Corinthian church other letters that... Um, were not, they're not part of scripture. He probably wrote them many letters, but they were not canonized. They weren't part of scripture. Um, so we know we, just because of Paul's close, closeness to this church and this letter, we, we get to know a lot about the church in Corinth. So what was the reason for the letter? In 1 Corinthians 1 and 11, it says, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Okay, so there was some indication that there was some issues going on in the church in Corinth. The church was having some problems. And uh, and it says it was declared unto me of you. That simply means that somebody told me Somebody told me that you guys have problems in the house of Chloe. Um, I, was, I was thinking a little bit about this and uh, as a pastor, right, you know, God does, you know, you have discernment sometimes, you, you say things prophetically, but a lot of times the issues that I know about are just through natural observation. That's just the truth. And sometimes people come and tell me things. That's how Paul found out. Um, those which are of the house of Chloe told Paul, there's some issues going on. Um, you'd be surprised what I know, guys, just because of what people tell me. So that's okay. You know, sometimes we, and I'm all about the Holy Ghost leading and guiding, you know that but even like the story of Ananias and Sapphira, like it doesn't actually say in scripture that how Peter knew. And we, you know, we think that, you know, God told Peter, and that's very possible. I'm not doubting that, but Peter could have found out at morning coffee that Ananias and Sapphira made a little more money on that land deal than they actually gave to the church. Like that's possible. Anyways, I don't wanna be carnal, but I just, I sometimes think that way. But Paul had heard about the problems going on in Corinth, and that was the whole reason for the letter. We read in 1 Corinthians 7 and 1, it says, "'Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, "'it is good for a man not to touch a woman.'" So in 1 Corinthians 7 and 1, it alludes to the idea that somebody had wrote to Paul asking him questions. And possibly they're like, "Hey, we, we need some instruction. We need some guidance. We're a young church, an immature church. And they needed the instruction of their elder. So Paul wrote this letter, not as a friend or a brother. And as we, as we get into this, you'll see that Paul was very pastoral. He was very, he was very uh, father-like in this letter, very authoritative, um, because they had problems that needed to be taken care of. They had morality problems. There was a division in the church. There was church government problems, spiritual gift problems, church service problems, authority problems. And Paul was writing this letter to help them um, with the issues that they were having. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 5 and 9 says, Now I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia. And it may be that I will abide, yea, in winter with you, that ye may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you, if the Lord permit, but I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. So this letter that Paul wrote, um, he was most likely in Ephesus, when he wrote this letter and he was just addressing the problems that the church in Corinth was having all right so that just kind of gives you just a a quick overview and we're going to get into the first couple of verses in first corinthians so first corinthians one it says paul called to be an apostle of jesus christ through the will of god and Sosthenes, our brother. Um, We have here where Paul, he fearlessly um, declared his apostleship. Um, His apostleship didn't come through a popular election or the casting of lots or appointment by the other apostles. He wasn't one of the 12, but his apostleship um, was through the will of God. It wasn't through the will of man. And Paul was sure of his calling. And just to understand what an apostle is, it is a, a special ambassador, it's a delegate, a messenger, uh, one sent forth with orders from headquarters, okay? And that's what that's what Paul was. He was an apostle sent by God with a message. And he was the ambassador to the Gentiles sent by God, and uh, do I? You know, I was thinking about this today. Like, you know, there are there are a lot of people who don't think there are apostles today, and uh, I believe that there are still apostles today. Um, according to Ephesians four, when it talks about um, how God has given the church gifts, He's literally given the church apostles, prophets, um, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Some call this the fivefold ministry, some the fourfold ministry. Um, but th- these were uh, gifts that God gave to the church for the edification of the church. And, and I still believe that the church is in full operation, that this apostleship wasn't just for uh, the time of Paul. Now, his, Paul's apostleship was very specific, and it was for. Um, it was specific to that time, and, and he had a, a special um, message for the Gentiles, and he was led by God for that time, for that area. But I believe that happens today. Um, I would say um, that, you know, Brother Walters was an apostle to North Dakota. He came to North Dakota and and built a district and planted churches where churches had never been planted before. He, and he was called by God from Michigan to come to, to North Dakota and, and thank God he did. You know, we look at uh, other men of God, like I was thinking about Brother uh, Benny DeMerchant. And if you guys haven't read any of his books, you should. Um, a couple books in the bookstore about his missionary journeys. He was a, a missionary to Brazil and the Brazilian Amazon, and he had a plane, and he went there, and he, he started a church, many churches all over the place throughout Brazil, and he, I believe he was an apostle to that area, um, sent by God to, to declare the gospel to those people. Amen? So Paul was, he was not afraid of his apostleship. He was confident in God. Uh, verse number two says, "'Under the church of God, which is at Corinth.'" to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all, that it, with all that in every place, call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. So there was a church, it was, um, it was unto the church of God, which is at Corinth. We understand that the church is just, it's a, an assembly of God's people in a specific location. It was the church of God at Corinth. And there's a biblical pattern for God's church throughout the world. And really it is. It's just a bunch of local churches. I believe every, every town should have a church. Where there's people, there should be a church. And we see this biblical pattern um, in Scripture. And, and despite the, um, the wickedness of Corinth, there was something good there and it was a church. There was something good in a terrible city. There was a light in a dark place. And as we get into this, we understand the tension uh, between the church and the city and the culture. And it really does help us better understand the purpose of the letter. Uh, one man said, that "Really, you can sum up um, the the." The idea of of first Corinthians with this question was the church influencing the city or was the city influencing the church Um, the church ought to be separate and the church does not need to embrace the the spirit of the age if you will the church should counter the spirit of the age Amen? That's why we take a a stand on holiness. Okay, that's why we take a, 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 that's why we're okay being a little different. That's why we're okay looking different, talking different, acting different. Because we we don't want to take on the spirit of the age. We, the church ought to be counter-cultural. We, we, we take a stand on, holy, on, on holiness. We take a, a stand that we, we want nothing to do with Hollywood. We take a stand on gender distinction. Amen. That a man is a man, a woman is a woman. Like we believe in that. But we, we, we cannot get caught up in the idea that we need to be or act like to the world to win the world. That doesn't work. And this idea of how close we can stay to the world and still be sanctified is really exactly what Paul was teaching against and correcting in the Corinthian church. You know, I think Brother Walter's always had that analogy where we know that the world's getting worse and worse. like It's going downhill. It's not getting better. And if we only keep, if we keep the same distance from the world, right? You have the world down here, we're up here, and we should be, there should be a distance between us and the world. But if we just keep that same distance as the world goes down, we're also going down with it. And that's not the plan of God. We ought to, we ought to be walking closer to him. And uh, I believe that. I don't want to just be so far away from the world, but I just want to keep drawing closer to God. And we read, you know, verses in in Corinthians like this, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. These are the things that Paul was addressing nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. He says, in such were some of you. This is what God pulled you out of, but you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. God has called us out of this world's culture and he's called us into kingdom culture, if you will. Why would we want to continue in that? That's what Paul that's, that's the point of this letter. Why would you want to continue in what God has pulled you out of? He says, and such were some of you." We understand in 2 Corinthians 6:14 it says, "Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness?" Paul's words to the Corinthian church were very counter cultural that he was like there's a church in this wicked city and it's not just to be another group that gathers like the rest but the church ought to be different it ought to be a light it ought to be holy and separated from the world and unto God amen so there was a church in Corinth verse 3 it says grace be unto you and peace from God our father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, we see um, this greeting in a lot of uh, this format for a greeting in a lot of uh, Paul's epistles, and I thought I would just touch base on this because people sometimes get the wrong idea when it says from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, some doctrines will make a plurality of persons by using this scripture that there's two separate. There's there's the Father and then there's the Son. And uh, why would Paul greet you from both of them, right? So, but if we, if we separate the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost as three distinct persons in the Godhead, I would ask in this particular scripture, I would ask, did they leave the Holy Ghost out? Because it just says God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm like, well, where's the Holy Ghost? Because if there's, if there's three persons and they're co-equal, Paul just left them out. So, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, there are other scriptures that use now God Himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So, understand that if, if the word and um, separates different persons, um, we, we have at least four different persons. Because we have God, the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost. But we know that's not what Paul was doing. That's not what he was referring to. So if these greetings don't mean a plurality in persons within the Godhead, what, how, do, how do we explain that? What does it mean? And really what it means is that Paul was emphasizing two roles of the same God. Okay, he was, and it was, and he was emphasizing the importance of accepting God in these two roles. So not only is God our creator and our father, but he also manifested himself in flesh through Jesus Christ to become our savior, amen. Jesus Christ literally means Jehovah savior. So the Jehovah, the God of the Old Testament, manifested himself in flesh and became our savior today. So we must acknowledge that Jesus came in the flesh and that he is both Lord and Christ, okay? He's king and priest. He's the son of man and he's the son of God, okay? He sent his son as a sacrifice, but he also was the sacrifice. So the only distinction, if you will, if I I can use that word in God, is his dual nature, okay? That he was God and man, okay? So that's what Paul was doing here. He was emphasizing that the God of the Old Testament was Jesus Christ. So he was emphasizing both those roles in his greeting to the church. And we can see that in just about every single one of his letters. All right, verse number four, it says, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God, which is given you by Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul was going to, he was getting ready to spend a lot of time correcting and rebuking the Corinthians, but he was still able to be thankful. He was still able to call them saints of God, that you are sanctified. Um, Sometimes, you know, we have, to, we have to understand that people have problems, we have problems, but there's still some things to celebrate. Okay, so we can't let um, our problems, our weaknesses completely define us. And I don't think Paul did here. He was writing to the church. He called them saints. He said, you're sanctified, even though they were having some problems. Now, Paul was, was writing them to correct these problems because these problems if they continued in them, it was going to lead them down a way wrong road, okay? Well, they would no longer be saints. They would no longer be sanctified. But he, he was still thankful for this church. Verse five, it says that, in everything ye are um, enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Understand that the people in Corinth were smart. Okay, they, they, uh, they would be like the ones that listen to podcasts all the time. Okay, they, they, were read, they were read up. They were smart people. It was a thriving community. And I wanna read something what uh, Charles Spurgeon said. He says, the Corinthian Christians were indeed gifted, yet carnal. He says, should it not show us that gifts are nothing, unless they are laid on the altar of God, that it is nothing to have the gift of oratory, that it is nothing to have the power of eloquence, that it is nothing to have learning, that it is nothing to have influence, unless they are all dedicated to God and consecrated to his service. And that's, that was the Corinthians, they were gifted. I mean, we, and we, we read this later on in 1 Corinthians 13. There's a whole chapter about love because they were getting all messed up in their spiritual gifts. And, and, uh, and we'll, read, we'll, 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 we'll get there when we get there. But um, he said they, they were gifted, yet they were carnal. So these, these things that God has given us, these abilities, these giftings that we have and anything that we have that is good, we have to take it and dedicate it to God. It's it's always a tragedy when somebody has a gifting and it could be anything and they don't let God use them in their gifting. But if you can take the things that God has given you and say, I want to take this and I want to dedicate this to you. Amen? Verse eight says, who shall also confirm you? Unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Corinthians had their strengths, they had their weaknesses, but God wanted to help them. Um, he wanted them to be confirmed, them to be confirmed unto the end. Verse 9, God is faithful by whom ye are called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Interesting enough, the first uh, nine verses of this chapter, Jesus is mentioned nine times in the last nine verses. And uh, eight of the nine verses actually say Jesus. One verse says it twice. So there was a huge emphasis on Jesus. That's why we preach Jesus. That's why we sing about Jesus. Because this is the answer to our problems, and it was really the answer to the, to the Corinthian church to help them with the things that they were struggling, struggling with. He said, God is faithful, despite your problems, despite um, your weaknesses, God is faithful, and he wants to help you. You believe that, that God truly wants to help you overcome the things that you're struggling with? I believe that, but we have to get our eyes off ourselves. okay? And that's, that's hard sometimes. Because we, we can look at ourselves a lot, and we have to get our eyes on Jesus. All right, verse 10. It says, and Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. All right, so Paul was making an appeal for unity. There was a tearing, there was fractions in the church, there was uh, disunity, and disunity in the body of Christ is not, it's, it's not natural, okay? And it's something that needs to be mended back together. The church needs to be unified. Paul, this is Paul was addressing this, that there was divisions among them. Proverbs six and sixteen says, these things, these six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. And there's several proverbs that kind of start out like the six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto them, and basically, what the writer of Proverbs is saying, I'm going to list six things, And the seventh is the result of the list of six. And here's what he says. He says, "A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift and running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies." There's six things. The seventh and he that soweth discord among the brethren. So those six things are how you sow discord among the brethren, okay? And God hates it. It's an abomination unto him, these things, because they sow discord among the brethren. God hates it. Disunity Will destroy a church. Disunity causes church splits. Disunity stops revival. A church that is not unified will not grow how God wants it to grow. Because when there's disunity, people, instead of looking at God, looking at the lost souls outside this church, end up just looking at each other. God hates disunity. We have to make sure that we as Christians don't give in to any disunity. Don't listen to anything that would degrade or slander your brother or sister in Christ. If what you are doing and and speaking isn't edifying or helping somebody, it's best just not to say it. It's best just not to be a part of it. And the truth of it is, here's the truth, is your brother sitting across the way from you and your sister sitting next to you, they have problems. Can I get an amen? But so do you, okay, because you are also one of those brothers and sisters sitting next to somebody else, okay? We all have issues, and some of us have, a lot of us have something that's sort of a blind spot, Okay, So just be careful. Be gracious. Because you also have something in your life that may not be completely right. We are part of the same body. It's the body of Christ. Don't gossip. Don't slander. Don't defame your brother and sister in Christ. If there's a part of the body that's having a problem, It's maybe messed up, doing something wrong. Don't cut it off. Maybe there would be another hand that would go help that other part of the body. My observation, and this is a big thing, like we've got to keep unity. We have to at all costs. If at all possible, right, live peaceably. But my observation is that gossip and slander within a church starts out and it's very subtle. It's very subtle. You may ask a question like, what did you think of what pastor said yesterday? What'd you, what'd you think? So you ask a question or you say something in a way that seems innocent but it's intent is to stir something up. I've seen this, I've witnessed it. What do you think of what so-and-so did Sunday after church, what'd you think of that? Don't give that any ear, don't do it, it ain't worth it. Sister so-and-so has a problem, so do you, right? Pray for them. Go encourage them. But to talk about it with somebody else does not accomplish anything. Okay? Ephesians 4.3 says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Colossians 3.13, these are both letters of Paul, forbearing one another. Forget. Sometimes we just got to put up with each other. Amen? I know there's been times where you guys have put up with me. And I want, I'm willing to put up with you. Sometimes you just got to grin and bear it. Pray for them. Love them. Forbearing one another. Forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any... Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. You don't always gotta be right. For the sake of unity in the church, it's best that you're just like, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. Like, just lay your will down for the sake of unity. Amen? Verse 12. It says, now, now this I say, that every one of you saith, "I am of Paul and I am of Apollos and I of Cephas and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? These divisions in the, in, in the Corinthian church, um, they cause cliques in different parties, um, in different camps within their church. And Paul, people were saying, I am of a Paul, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas. Those that said, I am of Paul, they declared, we are following in the footsteps of the man who founded our church, the Apostle Paul. We are the ones that are really right. Those that were said, I am of Apollo, says, we are following in the footsteps of a man who is great to, in power and in spiritual gifts. He's an impressive man. We're the ones that are really right with God. This is why I believe that Paulus was probably the pastor. I am of Cephas. There was the the party of Peter, says we are following in the footsteps of the man who is first among all the apostles. Jesus gave him the keys to the kingdom of heaven and he's our man. We're the ones really right with God. Those that says, I am of Christ, they, they got the trump card, the Jesus card. It says, you guys are all so carnal, following after mere men. We are following in the footsteps of no one less than Jesus himself. We're the ones really right with God. And I've, I've kind of seen these sort of things. But there's no room for division and clicks in the church. Clicks can destroy a church too. And I know we all have, we have friends that maybe we hang out with more than others, and, and I get that. That's just natural, but don't, don't form a clique. Okay? If, you, if, you, if you feel like you're kind of hanging around the same people all the time, invite somebody over that you never hang out with. Throw yourself off. We can get comfortable with the same people. That's, that's natural. It's that's a natural thing. But just... Invite somebody to lunch that you wouldn't normally ever invite to lunch. There's no room for division and cliques and different parties in the body of Christ. Is Christ divided, Paul asked. Verse 14 says, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And I had baptized also the household of Stephanus. It's like he he said, I baptized Crispus and Gaius. And he started, started he's like, oh yeah, I also baptized Stephanus' family. Kind of forgot about that one. Besides, I know not whether I baptize any other. Verse 17, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. And what Paul was saying here, he was saying that I was called to preach the gospel to declare the gospel. I was called to evangelize to to found, found this church to to pioneer it. Um just because Paul said he wasn't called to baptized um doesn't mean that, you know, baptism isn't essential. Okay? Um, we shouldn't we shouldn't take that from the scripture because we can We can look all through the New Testament and and what Paul was saying is like, listen, I came to declare the gospel. I came to preach the gospel. But as you look through the New Testament, the response to the gospel was always what? It was baptism. Okay, so he came to declare it and they responded to it in baptism. And I, I was thinking about this. You can sort of liken it to even this church here. You know, brother. You know, we're gonna we're gonna have evangelists come through. Brother Robinette, when he comes through, he preaches faith, right? He declares the word of God, the Holy Ghost. People decide to get baptized. Usually, the pastor baptizes them, not the evangelist. I think that's what Paul was saying. Um, if he, I mean, if he was making the claim that I was not called at all to baptize, he wouldn't have baptized those other families but he was probably in a situation where he just got done with a Bible study, and they're like, hey, we wanna be baptized right now. And Paul's like, well, I, yeah, let's do it. So Paul did it in the cases where he was probably the only one to do it, but he was called to claim, uh, to declare the gospel. And we know that Paul was baptized, okay? He, um, we read that in scripture, we, we read in Romans where he said that we are, we are buried with him in baptism, um, he was writing a letter to a church and they were all baptized. Amen? All right, it's 8.04. We're going to stop right there. Um, next week, we're going to pick up in verse 18. Talk about the wisdom of God. And hopefully, maybe we can get through chapter one and chapter two. But uh, there's some going to be some really cool things in 1 Corinthians. And because <laughs> because they had so many problems. We get to learn so much from this book. Um, so I'm excited about it. And let's all stand tonight. This is, we probably won't have any altar calls um, during this for the most part because it's, well, I shouldn't say that. God could God could move and we may need one, but this is gonna be just some expository teaching verse by verse. I. I ask you to take notes, um, really just uh, dig into this so we can really fully understand what uh, Paul was saying to this church. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy tonight. God, we thank you for your word. God, that it would give us instruction. God, that it would correct us. God, I believe it's alive and well today. God, that it's working right now. God, I pray that there was hearts today, God, that received, God, what was spoken. God, in the name of Jesus, God, that you would bless this church. God, that you would touch every man and every woman and every child in this place, every family today. God, that we could draw closer to you. God, that we would be more like you. God, that we would put off the filth of the flesh and the things of this world. God, that we would separate ourselves to you. God, I want to be holy, God, as you are holy. God, I want to be more like you today. God, in the name of Jesus, thank you, God, for what you're doing right now tonight. God, I thank you for what you've already done and what you're going to do. God, we pray tonight for all those that are sick. God, that your healing virtue, God, would flow through their bodies, God. God, that you would give strength to the weak. God, that your power would flow. In the name of Jesus. Uh, God, we pray right now, God, for this coming service Sunday. God, that you would touch our Easter service. Uh, God, I pray that somebody would get the Holy Ghost. Uh, God, that somebody would come to repentance. Uh, God, I pray that this week, God, that your church, uh, God, would go forth, God, and invite people, uh, God, to church to Sunday. God, that you would move in a mighty way. Uh, God, we thank you in advance tonight. Uh, God, we praise you tonight. Uh, In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, one service this coming Sunday at 11 o'clock, please invite somebody. Bring somebody to, to church with you this coming Sunday. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.